stories of some of the world's greatest women unfold here. I am Annette Comer, your host, and each week, the untold secrets of success, strength, and boldness of today's powerful women are revealed. This woman grew up in South of England in what she describes as a practical, sensible family. Early on, she learned good work habits and was able to outwork most of those around her. As she came into young adulthood, she found career choices were limited, so she became a hairstylist. At 20 years old, she moved to America, and as the years unfolded, she captured every opportunity that came her way. She quickly discovered that tenacity and hard work were greater than any talent she had. Her career began to go in different directions. She became a professional speaker, an author, and an in-demand speech coach. And today, she walks a path to greatness as her speech coaching of professionals creates people of impact. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Patricia Fripp. Hi, Patricia. Thank you for joining me today. Wonderful hearing how great I am. (laughs) It's so nice when it's acknowledged, isn't it? (laughs) We're going to have such a good time today together. And and I have so much that I want to cover with you. So let's go ahead and get started. It doesn't matter how good each of us are if we don't tell people in some way because it just goes unnoticed. So do you find that women struggle to self-promote and what approach have you found works for you? Well, let's go back to when I really learned the lesson. I was 23 years old working in the first really fancy men's hairstyling salon when this was a new industry. A person who took over our salon was Jay Sebring, who was the Hollywood hairstylist. At our opening party, Paul Newman, Joanne Woodward, Warren Beatty, Julie Christie, his English actress girlfriend, came to our opening party. Jay had received publicity and write-up in Time magazine, Newsweek, Playboy, when no one else was talking about men's hairstyling. And when he took over our salon, He said, as soon as there is an announcement in her cane, who was the popular columnist that everybody read, the phone will ring off its hook. And it did. And that at 23 was when I realized it doesn't matter how good I am, the world has to know about it. And that's when I became what I call a shameless self-promoter. And a lot of people said, oh, I don't like that expression. I don't want to say I'm a shameless self-promoter. I say, you don't have to. However, if you want to live up to your potential, you have to have an ongoing, consistent strategy. This would be true as an entrepreneur as I was, or even if you are in corporate life. And I work with my coaching clients is you speaking not only internally in your company, externally with the community at large, because that is one great way to show the world that you are a woman who is exceptional. Yeah, and I think that's brilliant. And and so many women are taught to not self-promote. You know, it's this old saying I think about when my mother used to tell me to not get too big for my britches. And now to be quiet, people will notice how wonderful you are. And I, like you, found that that didn't work worth a hoot. It, <laughs> it oh, just faded into I the shadows. Mother who, I was lucky. I had a mother who didn't tell me that. Yeah. My mother, 
who really was an amazing woman, she always said, of course, it's the inner you that counts. However, you have to dress up and look good so that you can attract people and then they will find out how smart and interesting and valuable you can be to them. So I never was nervous about tooting my own horn. As one of my friends said, if you don't toot your own horn, there is no music. However, it's a way to learn how to do it without being obnoxious. Isn't it now? And I have found telling your accomplishments in a story type format seems to work for me. You know, I'll wrap it into, you know, this happened and that happened and I stepped in and did this and and that kind of thing. So there's, you're right, there's ways to do it so it doesn't feel so sleazy and, and braggy, but you're still getting the point across that I've accomplished things you need to know about. With the secret of that, because I help a lot of my clients, male and female, who when they get promoted or they take over a new division, their culture and the tradition of their company means that they need to get deliver a 30-minute speech on how I got here. And they are in that position because they've done superbly well. They are very smart. They turned around different divisions that got them promoted. And the secret I tell them is understand that none of us are where we are just because of our own efforts. Therefore, when you tell the time frame of your life, you give credit to the others who taught you, encouraged you, inspired you, pushed you in the right direction. You are acknowledging others as a way to talk about yourself. And then it doesn't sound egotistical. And also, I would say with me, it's a matter of you look at it was, as you said, good work habits. That is very simple. It worked for me. It will work for others. Because in our messages talking about ourselves, we always have to give whoever listens almost a roadmap. Well, if Patricia, she used to be a hairstylist, can now be a famous speaker. Maybe I can emulate not what she did, however, the habits and disciplines that made her successful. Absolutely. And I think that's brilliantly said. So I'm going to stay in this space of of success and, and such. And I want to talk about opportunities for a second. So it's important that women learn to maximize opportunities that come their way. How have you done this throughout your career? How have you found the opportunities that you decided you were going to maximize? Because not every opportunity is something you should take, for sure. Well, if I think back to when I was a 15-year-old hairstyling apprentice working in England, on a Tuesday evening, women would come in, they would be models and pay two shillings, and the apprentices would do the hair under supervision. All the other girls would do one or two. I do five. And I said to my boss, hey, can I bring a couple of models in on Monday? And because he saw how interested and dedicated I was, he gave me an old hairstylist. So at weekends, I could do the neighbor's hair. And I've often told my friends and audiences, I have been good in two careers, hairstyling and then speaking and consulting and what led from that. I did not start either 
with great talent. And I am not modest. I'll be the first to tell you what my superpowers are. What I had, though, was an interest in being good and a commitment to do what I had to do to take advantage of what any opportunity came up. And so I learned really early on that my boss helped me more because I was so willing. I left home. I worked on an island off France. I was working with gentlemen from the West End of London. They were so good. They could do hairstyles I'd never seen before. However, they thought lunch hours were for eating lunch. I knew lunch hours were for squeezing three other people in who could only come in their lunchtime. And my boss told me, Patricia, you create 30% more income for the salon. What was I doing? I was taking advantage of maximizing what is normally downtime. Was I as good as the other? No. Was I experienced? No. Was I getting paid as much? No, definitely not. <laughs> However, that's not the barrier. It's just doing more. Then I came to America and discovered that hairdressers work on 50% commission, no guarantee, no sick pay, but because of my work ethic and my excitement of doing people's hair, I loved it so much. My boss said, hey, go back to England, bring over 28 of your friends. I'll become a multimillionaire. I said, Charles, I've never worked with anyone who works like me. And it's just a matter of often saying yes to opportunities. Oh, will you do this demonstration? Will you give the speech? Will you do this? You say yes before you have time to talk yourself out of it. Well, I, how can I do that? Yeah, and, and if you go, yes, why not? Well, you can always come up with excuses, I guess. But you're right. Let that yes come out of your mouth on, on good opportunities. Doesn't mean you should be a yes person for everything. But there's so many opportunities we let slide by us that are just ripe for the picking. And somebody's going to take advantage of them. And one of the greatest opportunities was when a professional speaker I'd seen speak said, Patricia, you must go to the National Speakers Association Convention. And I've long been a believer that if someone you admire and wish to emulate gives you advice, you don't ask how much does it cost? You do it. And I turned up at my first NSA convention, 32 years old, thinking no one's going to want to talk to me. I talked to Rotary Clubs and men's hairstylists. And two situations appeared. One, I saw the vision of what was possible. I realized it was a long-term goal. But I saw, well, after my hairstyling career, perhaps I could be a speaker. And then... I went back and I used my speaking to build my business. Now, the second part of that convention, I was sitting next to somebody at lunch and he said, you know, I'm, I'm in charge of this program called Speak to Me for New Speakers. Would you like to be on the program? Yes. Then, of course, I went to my room and panicked. However, after that 10-minute talk, a gentleman came up and said, you're the best woman speaker I've ever seen. Do you have a brochure? No. He called me and booked me to speak to 2,000 people on the same program with a couple of the most famous speakers at the time. So again, it was following the opportunity, saying yes, and then working out, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? Right. It worked. 
It works. And, it, and it's funny how when you say yes, then you can figure it out. Yes. And then Making the decision is the most important part. Isn't it now? Once you've made a decision, or even with these small decisions, you say yes. Trust the process. Absolutely. And, and you said something in there that I'm going to dig a little deeper on. And, and that is about role models and who you select you're going to emulate. My question to you is, what advice would you give to those listening of who they ought to think of emulating? Just remember, many of our mentors and teachers, we might never meet. We might watch them on YouTube. We might see them on television. We might read their biography years after they died. So just be aware. Now, if you're in corporate life, I would always say, look at the woman leader you most admire. And then not copy, but look at one, how does she dress? How does she speak? How does she make other people feel? Just watch. I always say to my audience, especially when they're more mid-level, if you do not have the title, salary, or respect that you feel you deserve, you have to look the part and speak the part and always remind yourself what you have a right to be proud of. You're not going to walk in necessarily and say it. However, the confidence that comes from acknowledging what you've done. And I've used this exercise in so many corporate meetings in the early days of my speaking career. Unbelievable, amazing contributions people have made. And their co-workers and their managers look around. I didn't know. Maybe it was in their, their leadership, in their community associations. Every part of what we do, we need to bring to opportunities. And most people are too modest. You have to acknowledge it to your friend. And I can honestly tell you, if you met some of my friends, I can tell you my friends are equally excited about my success as I am. And I'm as equally excited with their success. You do need to have a support system, which reminds me in my early hairstyling days, I was interviewed on radio shows, television shows, and I had been the first woman, the only woman in our salon. Then we had another woman, Judy, who also was a mature woman. Well, we were in our, both in our 30s. And I said, Judy, sit down and talk to this radio interview. He came to interview me to see if I could fill an hour radio show, talk show. Did he find out I could? <laughs> I said, Judy, tell him your experience as well. I was trying to get her involved with everything. Be generous with your opportunities. Bring other people along. There's plenty of room. And then he said, Patricia, you've been outrageously successful in your business. Do other people resent your success? And without a moment's hesitation, I said, well, of course not. They say I work six days a week, 10 hours a day. 
And at exactly the same moment, Judy said, well, of course they do. Of course they do. They don't care what she's done. And that, and actually I was in my 30s. This was when I was about 25. I realized if I am going to live up to a small portion of my potential, I can't be concerned about what other people think who are less ambitious than I am. And that's how I developed. And my best friends came from the Dale Carnegie class and Toastmasters and people who were also invested in learning and growing and creating something for themselves. Yeah. And I love that you brought it up about the people being jealous and, and, and that, you know, being critical of your success, you know, because they are maybe not having the same success or maybe they are and that they're just driven by their ego in that regard. But I know when I was younger, that was confusing to me and it hurt. But as I got older, I also, like you, realized that if I was going to let that impact me, I would always be playing small. You see, until Judy spoke up, I had no idea. It never occurred to me. Yeah. And my friends often accuse me, oh, Patricia, you live in a Walt Disney world where everything's <laughs> clean and wonderful. Well, I love being in my Walt Disney world, <laughs> not knowing people might be critical or nasty. <laughs> yeah, that can be a good bubble to stay in for sure. So now I'm going to go into a little different direction. Um, I'm going to talk about people's willingness to change. So often people stay in a situation, whether it be a career or a business, long beyond when it's time to let go. So why do you think we do this? And what have you found happens when you do let go and move on to the next opportunity? I'm probably like most, there is a little reluctance to change. However, all I can say is when you focus on the end result, it's easier. And most of the opportunities I've said yes to, we just say, just going in the business for myself. I have often said, if I knew how much work, challenge, frustration, nights of lost sleep, I wouldn't have done it. However, I'm glad I didn't know because I like where I am now. Sometimes a little optimistic ignorance is good. I think often people don't let go of things that they may have long outgrown, whether it's jobs or businesses or whatever. I think it's because it's comfortable. And there's there's something that we like about the predictability and the comfort because we've done it, we've done it well, we've been successful at it. But sometimes it's time to move on. I can speak that to myself as well as others that I know as well. Yeah, yeah for sure. So preparation has certainly been one of your keys to success, no doubt about that. So what does preparation look like for you? And what does do you have a process that you use to make sure you're prepared? Well, most of my process now is being prepared for a speech, a new program. And the best part is to, from my point of view, is you have to be messy before you're tidying. In other words, if you're going to deliver a speech or write a business plan or whatever it is you're going to do, the creative process always comes first. And you have to list every part that might go in your speech or updating my trust. You don't sit down and remember everything you're going to remember at once. So you make a list of all the people, all the charities, brainstorm before you sit down to be tidy. I'm working on a new program. 
And when people say, well, how long does it take you to put together a new program, put together a new speech, put together a new webinar series? Well, do you count the months or the weeks or the days that you're thinking about it or what it takes when you sit down and put it together? Understand most wisdom comes on reflection. Now, whenever you're going to work on any new situation, a program, a situation, a business, or even perhaps a new initiative for your company or a new advertising or PR campaign, revisit the decisions that you've made before that worked well. Learn from your own experience. Remind yourself perhaps any project you worked on that wasn't as successful and be be very thoughtful about what you remember learning at the time. So in other words, whenever you finish any program, any speech, when I deliver a webinar, my assistant and I immediately go on Zoom and say, all right, now what did we do that worked well? What are we not going to do next time we do it? Do an after action analysis when everything is fresh in your mind. A week is too long. In the moment, how do you feel? What do you learn? Yeah, I think that's great advice. Yeah, no, it's it's very helpful. And then particularly what you said about in your preparation for the next go round, make sure you do the critique after you've done something to help you be in a better position for the next go round. And then you, you continue to improve for sure. Yeah, our memory fades us way too long to do that. So you told me that you don't get every job that you go after and that you're okay with this. So do you ever find fear creeps in that maybe another job won't come along when you need it? One brilliant woman I was helping develop a speech used a phrase that I have adopted, and that is, in North America, we suffer from recency bias. If business is good, we can't imagine that the phone will ever stop ringing. When the phone isn't ringing, you can't ever imagine it will. What was most recent is what we're going to expect and what we're comfortable with. And if there is one lesson we have learned in this last year, it is how fast life as we know it can change. The advantage with some maturity is that you look back and you know, just as the seasons change, business cycles change, what we need to focus on is how do you get more opportunities, more clients in the pipeline? And therefore, you couldn't, although you follow up with every opportunity, you couldn't take advantage of them all. And then anytime you don't get, I always ask, as a matter of interest, which of my friends did you hire? I might also ask them, now they don't always tell you, but often they do, what was it in my proposal or price that lost me the job? And very often it's, Patricia, the committee loves you, but the senior vice president recommended someone they liked. Mm -hmm. So if you can understand why, and again, learn from it, and realize you're not right for every situation, and which is part of my approach. I don't take new coaching clients, for example, unless we have a conversation. So I can find out, one, do I like working with you? 
because it has to be a fun experience for both of us. And then for them, do they like my approach? Is the quality and my advice what they want? Because I always say working with a speech coach, or it might be adopting, presenting a certain methodology for your sales presentation process, or delivering the opening message for a conference where they're having massive change. And I've had clients say to me, your speech better work. Now, no pressure. <laughs> exactly. You know, you think, wow, the whole, we brought half, this was one bank. They said we brought half of the banks in Canada over to this meeting. This has got to work, you setting the tone for our new initiatives. And all I can think is not only is this pressure, I'm not charging them enough. <laughs> if I'm going to make that guarantee. Yeah. So you you learn from your experience. You know, I, I learned early on, I don't speak after dinner. I don't speak after dinner. I'm a morning speaker or a daytime speaker. My energy's better and I don't like being right people that drink. Learn from your own experience. And I would love to tell you about no disasters. And you know that isn't true. But you learn from the disasters and most disasters in the speaking industry is you shouldn't have said yes because you felt something wasn't quite right, but you thought, I can do it. Yeah, just because you can don't mean you should. So, Patricia, is there anything about your journey to greatness that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with other women? Well, you were very kind to say greatness. Early on, I was very clear how I wanted to live my life and run my business. And I've said to people, my goal was never to build an empire. And a lot of my male friends said, well, well, of course, I want to build an empire. I've always wanted to have a comfortable living that I could handle with few staff, or now it's mostly virtual help all over, and enjoy what I was doing. The pressures of making a payroll takes away from the joy of very often doing what you're doing. I would say I am very grateful to America, to the National Speakers Association, to seeing the possibilities of how I could not change, I could evolve. Because the personality I had behind the hairstyling chair entertaining the salon is definitely the same, more seasoned personality that I now have. Yeah, so you've tried to stay true to yourself through the whole journey, haven't you? Yeah. Very much so. Patricia, thank you so much for coming and taking time to share all the wonderful wisdom that you have. You've got so many gold nuggets and so appreciate you being so generous with sharing those. My pleasure. Patricia is another great example of how women are challenging the norm, making things happen and demanding their own greatness. So join me next time on the World's Greatest Women Show as another powerful woman's story unfolds. 